<laughs> uh, hello and welcome to Cartridge Cinema Club, episode 61. <laughs> My name is Mark Champlin, and today I'm joined by Alex Wallace. What's up, girls and gays? Me and Mark are recording two podcasts today, so let's just fucking get into it. Let's cut the preamble. Let's not do, we're not gonna, we're, you're not gonna learn how my day was. We're not doing any of that crap. I got an e-boy to see this weekend. We're gonna fucking get into it. What did we watch this week, Mark? I want an e-boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, we watched Atari Game Over which is a 2014 documentary directed by Zach Penn about the North American video game crash of 1983 and also some other things. It's kind of disjointed. It's about several <laughs> things. Uh, Zach Penn uh, is the writer of such notable films as the second X-Men movie and the third X-Men movie. Um, probably other things. Uh Boy, he he sure is a nerd, and he likes telling you that he's a nerd. Yeah, he sure is a presence in this film, which is the worst thing that you could do as a documentary film. Yeah, he really he really should like shut the fuck up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll get to it. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of run through. I it's weird to call it the plot because this is the documentary. This is just real life and things that happened. Uh, but yeah, so in in the early '80s, uh, you know, Atari. Uh, came out with some motherfucking home video game console. And it it was the shit, and things were really chill for them for a really long time. They were making a lot of motherfucking money. And then, things were not so chill. They made a bunch of really unsafe and ridiculous bets, such as, what if we tried to make E.T. the extraterrestrial, the video game, in five weeks with one guy? Uh, And alongside all of those failures uh basically led to a market crash in the united states for like home video game consoles uh and then uh as part of that allegedly like during uh you know the sundowning of that company they buried a bunch of cartridges in the desert including a bunch of the infamous et cartridges uh and so now we join modern day douchebag screenwriter zach penn as he stands around in the desert and asks people a bunch of stupid questions while they dig up a landfill um yeah (laughs) i i almost don't blame the bad interviewees around the landfill because like they clearly were given nothing to talk about (laughs) yeah yeah there 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 are a lot of zines of zach penn asking dudes in reflective vests like incredibly stupid and unrelated questions and them just kind of like regarding him with like contempt and confusion uh how'd you feel about this film mark you know (laughs) it it was only an hour Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh i I don't know this film could have been so much better so it was kind of annoying that it wasn't that great yeah uh you know it wasn't even that the film wasn't that great uh this movie had great stuff in it. Mm-hmm. It had some really good stuff. It needed to be about the 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 person that got. I don't know if I say character. You tell me. <laughs> uh, it needed to be about the person that got the most interview time, which was Howard Scott Warshaw. He was the heart of the film. He's the guy what made the game, <laughs> and they they talked to him a lot about uh, Atari and about his time. As like kind of like a rock star video game developer, mm-hmm. one of the first uh, like named video game auteurs, and I found that fascinating. I found it interesting hearing about all the creative freedom and the the crazy office culture around that time in the seventies and eighties. And then the rest of it was like boring. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I also wanted to touch briefly on. I don't know if we'll get much into this later. 
Um, but there is a weird boys club mentality that kind of uh, permeates this movie. Yeah. Uh, I I don't like it. Um, <laughs> the the you go to the scene of the dig and the crowd there and the camera spends a lot of time panning the crowd. You see almost as many women there as men, but Zach Penn uh, doesn't interview a single woman (laughs) there. Only interviews men who like kind of look like him, just other pudgy white dudes with facial hair and sunglasses. The sunglasses are important. uh, Sunglasses are key. They're very dad looking glasses. (laughs) Most just, they're, they're very know. defending imperialism on Twitter ass glasses. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're 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 like never never Trump. I I protest, good sir. There's multiple instances of the men during the interviews talking about how like their wives don't understand what they're doing here. <laughs> Isn't that funny? They don't get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember this being like a really bad movie. I watched this in like probably 2016 or something. Um, and like my memory of it was like, I walked away thinking it was like a shit show, but I think that that is like a magnified memory in my brain. And I don't actually think this movie is really all that bad. Like I hate, yeah, I it's hate, not terrible. It's not terrible. I hate the tone of it. I, I hate when documentaries try to have jokes in them that aren't just, like, the interviewees saying something funny or, like, juxtaposing two interviews against each other where people are having clashing opinions in a comedic way. Um, but, like, you know, the shit where, like, the editing has to make jokes. You know, like, the graphic... Like, there's a part where Zach Penn says, like, oh, and then this part I'm gonna cut to an awesome diagram. And then and then it says <laughs> awesome diagram at the top. Shut the fuck up. Stop Could- Referencing Indiana Jones, I hate Zach Penn's narration in this. Could you how- just feel the editor being like, Ugh, "Ugh," and he had to make that graphic, and the digital artist being like, "I gotta make this obnoxious graphic." <laughs> yeah, and like he has to, he has to reference movies from the '80s constantly because he has no frame of reference for how reality works, except for to compare it to fanciful films from his childhood. Uh, but the thing about documentary is you can get away with all of that shit if you have a good premise and you have interviews that are great uh and luckily in this movie they have interviews that are great i think the howard scott warshaw stuff is fantastic um i think all of the stuff around the atari history is really interesting and really well executed just because the interviews with howard scott warshaw and some of the other people that worked at the company are so good and so emotionally affecting but all of the landfill stuff besides like maybe the very end when they actually dig out the cartridge and you're like oh shit they 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 really spoilers they really found them uh (laughs) it's just zach penn kind of being a dipshit like there's like a dude who spent three years of his life working on the excavation and trying to get permission from the city to let him, like, dig shit up. Nothing about that man's life is ever questioned by the film. We don't get to anything about him and his history and why the fuck he's wasting his time on this bullshit. Um, And he's basically just, like, a non-presence who exists to explain shit to Zach Penn. Yeah. Yeah. The... The 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 hard thing in this movie really is seeing the the Howard Scott Warshaw stuff and the Atari history yeah. stuff, and it's just the fact that there's a good movie in here yeah. with, with better with better pacing and it being built around um, the really powerful like emotional catharsis. Like it's it still could have been about the dig, but it should have been about Howard recounting his history up until the point where 
that game was partially responsible for Atari's monetary struggles and then him journeying to that dig and like his emotional moment that he has when people are talking to him at that dig site that should have been like the climax of the film in and it and it kind of wasn't it kind of wasn't because we were just I don't know. It was weird. Like that should have been the movie. The the emotional yeah, like the, his emotional journey to accepting his new life. You know, the the dig at the end of the film. Like like the dig should be the last ten minutes of like an hour and a half movie about Howard Scott Warshaw and his history at Atari. And instead, the dig is kind of the focus and the. Howard Scott Warshaw story and the Atari history story are set dressing for Zach Penn standing in the desert and asking stupid questions. Yeah, really. And so, like, they and and it's not woven. They're like these two narratives are not woven together in in a way that's coherent and satisfying. And it just like it doesn't come together for me. Um, But I I do think I want to talk about like why the Howard Scott Warshaw stuff is so effective. Um, First of all. Homeboy <laughs> comes out, the first thing that he says, like, in an interview in, like, a, in an extended cut in this movie is talking about how, as, like, an engineer in the 80s, his choices were killing people for the U.S. Army and making video games, and he thought it was way better to pick video games. So he's already off to a good start. We like him. Yeah, that was a great moment. Yeah, and, you know, he's, like, this sort of, like, old ex-hippie kind of dude, like, in his, like, mid-60s or whatever, and, like, the part where, like, him and Zach Penn go to the old, where the old headquarters for Atari was, and he just walks around the old campus and points out, like, oh, yeah, that's over there. That's where I used to, like, hang out on the lawn and get high. And, like, <laughs> he tells a story about, like, getting fucked up with his boss on the first day he was there and this, like, crazy, like, wild party workspace that they lived in. Um, and there's a incredibly resonant moment where he talks about how Nothing else in his life felt satisfying to him for a really, really long time after that because he felt like, you know, he was in a position where he was on top of the world making tons of money and getting to do basically whatever he wanted as long as the games got finished. And they they were very lax about, like, you know, what the engineers were allowed to do and their, like, creative limits were, were totally removed. Um, and, you know... As someone who maybe has worked for a tech startup that perhaps had a wild and exciting party culture in a wild and exciting new industry and that then sort of fell apart and was dismantled and became something that was, you know, so much of a shadow of what it once was, um, this hit me in a particular way. Um, And I think that the interviews with... Howard are really, really effective because of that. Like, it just, it hits at a lot of the, like, drudgery that we experience in capitalism and the way that, like, so many people, like, you know, athletes and musicians, like, have spectacular careers in their early 20s and then, you know, the tides change and nothing else in their life ever fills them with that much fulfillment. And, like, one of the best bits in this is when he talks about how, 
he, you know, spent like 30 years trying to be a real estate agent and he fucking hated it. And he did all kinds of different jobs that all made him miserable. And now he is a psychotherapist for people who are like engineers in Silicon Valley that don't know how to talk about feelings because they're engineers. And I love that <laughs> for Howard Scott Warshaw. And I wish that his story was told in a better film. Because it, 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 like his, his fall from grace and like his like putting his life back together to become something that he's happy with again is incredible. And it's in this movie, <laughs> which yeah, sucks. it left me wanting more. I wanted to hear more about his work uh, in therapy. I wanted to hear more about his, the, the middle part of his life uh, and his struggles. I, I, we didn't get the, we pretty much got two sentences about the fact that he's a psychotherapist now. And we got like one nice like little picture of his graduation from the program where he learned all that stuff. And and uh, I just wanted more. I wanted more yeah. from this movie. Yeah, me too. Um, and also, like, I think the entire landfill excavation thing is stupid. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's silly. Like, it's like... They're, very early on in the film, they, like, make a point to show several, like, very serious-looking city officials just being like, yeah, you know, we could dig that up and it uh, it could just, like, be a toxic waste dump and, like, <laughs> seriously, like, be endangering people around here. Uh, and this is a stupid waste of time. Yeah. And, like... <laughs> I was kind of like, okay, well, they shouldn't do it then. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and it's in, like, the first ten minutes. And you're like, oh, well, hmm. I wonder where this is going. And, like, like, the film's, like, response to that is basically but just, like, but the power of video games is just too much yeah. to, to be able to be stopped by these these bureaucrats who want to keep people from getting leprosy. God, these powerful glossing over of some serious <laughs> concerns from, like, the, the environmental agency. Yeah. And I just, I really side-eye anything that is like, oh, those pesky people at the environmental agency. Yeah, Like, even seriously. divorced of context, that alone makes me, like, cautious with the politics <laughs> of what's going on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I think, um, I think I'm, I I'm going to let you take this one, Mark. Uh, can you tell me about a particular appearance in this film? This is really the last I, thing we're going to touch on. Here. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, it's not... Uh, didn't I say like fuck Ernest Klein a lot in the in the Ready Player One in the episode? The Ready Player One episode, you sure did. I sure did. It's you sure did. I didn't. Uh, I, I don't. So Ernest Klein. I don't want to like say that I hate him as a person. <laughs> I don't know the guy, right? Like I, I'm not like a malicious person. You, you know me. I'm a nice guy. But it's true. He is nice. But. Everything that he has made that I've consumed and every time I've heard him speak or seen him in an interview, he's the most insufferable human being that I've ever had the displeasure of seeing on a screen. I, I hate him. I don't like so, him. I don't like him. He, he, why was he in this movie? He, he took up so much of this movie that could have been, so much of it. could have been spent. So there's, this is hang on real quick yeah. <laughs> ernest klein is the author of the book ready player one a capitalist love letter to pop culture and excess the film adaptation of which we watched for this podcast and severely hated a, a vapid 
a truly vapid look at why people love pop culture that seeks to answer the question by saying, oh, we love it because it's cool. Isn't this awesome? Look at, Isn't that so profound? Look at the Iron Giant. It's so cool that he has guns on his arms. Look at the Iron Giant blow things up with his gun arms. Remember the Iron Giant, that anti-war movie? <laughs> Let's completely miss the point and exploit its image for nostalgia points. That's that's who he is. And the entire section of the movie that includes him is just the nerd culture credential gatekeepy part of the movie that for some reason needed to be there. Um he he is on a road trip to the dig site in his fucking DeLorean that he bought with his blood money. Um and he the fuck- DeLorean is so much oh, for me. Like, God. of course you own a fucking DeLorean, Just dude. His life is Ready Player One. Like, it's so funny that he felt the need to create a world. That It's funny that he used his writing talent, which I'm sure he has, you know. He, <laughs> he wrote a novel that people love. Um, he used that ability to write a world where nerds go into a cyber world and fill it with all of their favorite pop culture shit. And with the money that he earned from that book and movie, he made his life <laughs> into the life of a character in that. He has a DeLorean, and he drives around with a life-size E.T. model in it, and he, he went to go get his DeLorean that George R.R. R. Martin was borrowing <laughs> for some event. And then he just, like, high-fives and fist-bumps George R.R. R. Martin, and is like, hey, thanks, bro. And George Martin is like, oh, no problem, bro. Uh, have fun at the video game thing. And then he says the line, it's like I'm Indiana Jones going to Westeros to meet Doc Brown and save E.T. And I was like, shut the fuck up, you goddamn dork. I hate you. <laughs> he is like, his, the whole thing of Ernest Clyde is driving a DeLorean to go to this landfill to see E.T. get dug up is like five to ten minutes of this hour-long film. Yeah. And it is it is a crime that, it, like, literally, that any additional Howard Scott Warshaw interview content was left out of this film in order to include more Ernest Klein scenes. Notice that they gave him a camera, like a dashboard uh, camera, because they, they thought that that he, there's like, oh, he's, he's so, like, cool and smart. He's bound to like say some cool shit on the drive up and instead it's like they needed to use this footage or else he would feel bad so they just included a montage of him just drumming along to to like van halen ass rock music uh on his steering wheel with his hands and his delorean on his delorean and him like making light vapid conversation to his et doll and, yeah. and it's like, well, that's clearly the best and only usable footage they got of the Ernest Klein cam. Uh, I, I refuse Live. to believe their Klein cam. I, <laughs> we, we return now to the Klein cam. Um, I refuse to believe there wasn't better footage and more footage of Warshaw that they could have used to strengthen his story. It's yeah. it felt like Zach Penn just really fucking likes Ready Player One. Yeah, and he was just jerking his his good feelings about that book all over the screen for us i i uh it's the worst part of the movie any other thoughts on atari (laughs) game over mark um uh i ernest klein if you're listening listen man (laughs) 
Um, I, I think we know you listen to this podcast. We know you listen, and I, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you listening, even though I show open hostility towards you and your creative endeavors. Uh, I want to say that I think that you, you're, you're a creative guy. I think you can make better things, um, and I hope you do. Sincerely. Yeah. What are we watching next week, Mark? Uh, so I've never played TF2, but you've played it apparently. Uh, oh, so much. We're watching. Oh, so we're much. watching those Meet the Team videos, which mm-hmm. started in May 2007. I've only seen one of these. I remember it was the one for the Pyro, which is really good. Um, mm-hmm. It's constructed using game engine and using slightly more detailed character models, using the game engine rather. Um, This is just a series of short videos introducing the individual characters of Team Fortress 2, and it displays their personalities, their tactics. Uh, They they were usually interspersed with clips of the combats. Um, It's it's just a really cool series, and it kind of paved the way for the stuff that uh, Blizzard, you know, coldly and calculatedly (laughs) copied, as well as the gameplay uh, with Overwatch. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm excited to go back to these. Um, I have, you know, obviously like a deep adolescent love for Team Fortress 2, as a lot of people my age do. Um, but I think also it's interesting because these videos in a lot of ways kind of were Team Fortress 2. Like so much of the public perception of like what Team Fortress 2 is all about has nothing to do with the video games. It has to do with all of the supplementary material around Team Fortress 2 um, and particularly these videos. And like people have, there are people who have never played Team Fortress 2 that have a deep love for these characters and have written gay fan fiction about all of them, (laughs) you know? And I think that's fucking cool That's all right with me. I'm yeah, and that's that. I'm. I think that's fucking awesome. You should ship the engineer with whoever you damn well please. Where can people find the podcast on the internet, Mark? You can find us at Cartridge Cinema. That's at Cartridge Cinema on Twitter. Uh, join the Discord. It's linked in the pinned Twitter post. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify and SoundCloud or wherever you choose to consume your podcasts. You can rate us on such platforms as those. Uh, positively would be preferably uh, the, the way to rate us. Uh, you can listen to the music uh, by DJ Tin Man. Uh, Shout out to DJ Tin Man. He loaned me a laptop for free. Yeah, um, I I told him, hey, I want to play some jazz trumpet over some lo-fi beats. You want to make some lo-fi beats? And the next day he was like, listen up, motherfucker. I made you a lo-fi beat. And he sent it to me. So shout outs to DJ Tin I love Tin you, Josh. <laughs> the, the art is by Courtney Kaufman. Uh, we're going to do another podcast right now. So it will continue to be Tuesday for a second. But for me, it was Tuesday. Yeah, fuck cops, don't join the military. (laughs) Fuck war. Later. Fuck war.